Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. This morning, we're in this new series, like Bucky said, called Elijah. The subtext is you are not alone. Now, Elijah was this Old Testament um, prophet, but he was just a man. He was just a man like you or myself. He was a man, but he was a hero. It's a hero story. But in that he's a man, the hero in him is the same hero in me and you. The same potential, the same opportunity exists in you and me. But what is a prophet? He was sent, first of all, he's sent to the the body of Israel, the Jews, God's chosen people. He was sent out of love for those people. And he went through so much, so much crisis, and yet he was never alone. And so this is an opportunity right now. Go ahead, get your phones out, get your Bible out, get your notes out, whatever it's going to be. That's good. I see someone waving their phone. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. It's a great tool to follow along, especially in a book like this, you guys, because the story, the context, the background is everything. If you're new to this whole church thing, 1 Kings is a book, uh, one book of 66 books in the Bible. It's an Old Testament book in the history, the history uh, library of the Bible. There's also books on poetry, uh, the prophets, the law. New Testament, of course, kicks off with the Gospels and the story of Jesus. So if you're newer to church and this whole Bible thing, that's what we're studying. That's what we're in is this, this book called 1 Kings. And uh, here's my main point for this morning. Let's see if the clicker is on fire today. There it is. Hope in crisis mode. Hope in crisis mode. Anyone here ever been in crisis mode before? Maybe for an hour, maybe for a day, maybe for a whole year? Crisis mode. It's a matter of life and faith. Elijah certainly knew about this. He knew it well. It's all about, let me tell you really quick what that one point means to me and what I hope that we can take away this morning. Hope in crisis mode is all about prayer and preparation. Here's the secret. I believe that God's using all things Everything. There's no accidents in God's economy. Every circumstance, every trial, every quiet crisis, every miracle, he's using all things to show us something, to teach us something, to grow our trust and faith in him. He's always preparing us for something. And one of the best vehicles, one of the best tools for understanding that or seeing that or having eyes for that is prayer. And I'm not talking about a special prayer dance, a special procedure, a special discipline. I'm talking about communication with the Father. That's what I'm talking about. Some kind of beginning place of a relationship with God, talking to the guy. That prayer is the thing that allows us to see maybe what we're going through, see what the preparation maybe is for. Hope in crisis mode is all about that. Let's talk about crisis for a second. Have you ever felt alone in crisis? Have you ever prayed like crazy, hoping God would show up? You ever felt like the last chapter had been written? Have you ever felt alone in trial and circumstance? Have you ever lost hope and just figured, forget it, it's done, I'm finished? Truth is that everyone in the room has had that season or that moment once in their lives. If you felt any of those things, we're here to tell you in this series, you're not alone. You're not alone, though you may feel that way. And you're going to see this in Elijah's story that our God, this is so stinking cool, you guys. Our God has made his name on pulling people out of crisis mode. He has made his name famous on dealing through crisis. Our God deals in crisis, and he deals in hope. I want to give you that encouragement this morning. So we're going to get into the actual text of Elijah, but first, let's go through the history. There's there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a dense thicket that this man, Elijah, shows up in the scene. And here's what's going on in the history, okay? So it's a theocracy. Israel, the, the Jews, it's a theocracy. They've chosen a king. It's a religious 
formed government. And they said, we want a king, so they got a king. And one of the most famous ones was David. We'll just start there. This stuff is historical. You can look it up. You can Google it, okay? Start with David, this epic, legendary king. His son Solomon takes over next. He starts out really great, the most wise person maybe to ever walk the earth. And then his career, as his tenure goes on, he kind of ends in a shamble a little bit towards the end. And then we have seven consecutive awful kings in a row. And then to top it off, we have the crown jewel of awful kings and Ahab, this guy named Ahab and Jezebel. I love what Bucky said last week. He said they teamed up for a mega team of awful, awful king, okay? Ahab and his his wicked, horrible wife, Jezebel. We have a divided Jewish kingdom, a few tribes over here, a couple tribes over here, and they've drifted way far away from God's model for doing life and community and fellowship and relationship with him, which is the law. That was God's prescription about how to do life well. Not only have they fallen away, they've gone into full-fledged idol worship, idolatry. This word, I find it so fascinating because it like, has no place in our common culture. If you were to talk to someone who's outside the church, they've never been before, and they hear idolatry, it's just like, tune out, immediately tune out. Because it sounds like this hyper-churched, hyper-religious, hyper-spiritual word, but let me just translate, okay? It's just those things that have taken our attention from God, whatever they are, all right? And for them, it was Baal. This, 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 the, the main idol was Baal, this, person, this, this god, theoretical god, Baal. He was the god of, of production and prosperity. So there you go, right there. I've just given you our terms for this morning. For those of us maybe in the room who are not in crisis right now, we're stoked on life. We're cruising. Everything's all right. The caution is, is be careful in those seasons that we don't think that we're the ones that have figured it all out, that we're the ones that have done it, that the success and achievement is all on behalf of ourselves, that it all falls on us. That can be the temptation and the slide if maybe you're in that season right now. And that was the idol for them. They were praying to this God, prosperity, give us the prosperity, provide everything, production, produce, 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 success, success, success. That was the idol back then. That's just the thing that still exists to this day. Now, let's talk about Elijah, the man. Where is he right here as we pick up in chapter 17? We're really just in this very first chapter of his life. What's going on with Elijah? He's just made this bold declaration to Ahab. Somehow he's got an audience with the guy and he says, guess what? You suck so bad, God's going to withhold rain, which is your whole production model, by the way, for the farms and the food and everything else. You're so bad. God's going to go ahead and revoke rain until you figure your life out. He squares up with the king. The king of kings is the guy who's going to rule the whole place. And so then he pieces out. God's like, you should probably go. Just go. You're not alone, but go. So his first stop that we kind of skipped over was Elijah and Kareth. This is the story where birds, ravens, come and feed Elijah. They take care of him. Of course, on behalf of God, they come and they feed him and they make sure he survives. God is provided by sending Elijah to Kareth. And then he goes on from that place after a time, just, I don't know, by a river with birds by himself. He feels pretty solo, but I'm guessing Elijah's never quite alone. Why? He's got this relationship thing going on. He's in communication. He's in communion with the Father all the time. Okay, and then we're going to pick up in the story today. He's, he's taken from that place. God directs him, go to Zarephath. No idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but we're going to go with it. Because when the guy speaks it with authority, you'll buy it. Zarephath, okay? Zarephath. He's made two totally new and obscure friends. God says, go live with this widow. This widow is probably not a part of Israel. He's an outsider, a Gentile, a pagan, whatever the word was of the time, the word you want to use today, an outsider. He's going to go get shacked up with a widow and the widow's son. So obscure. 
so random, but maybe not so much. God's always preparing us for something. So let's look at this. If you have your phones, you have your Bible, check it out. We, we, we pick this up in verse 12. Chapter 17, verse 12, this is what it says. But she said, okay, real quick, Elijah goes to them. He says, hook it up with some food. A brother needs the next stage of how to survive. Hook it up, as he says. She, this is what she responds to him. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in this house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar, a little bit of cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just going to cook up a few sticks, have my last meal, and then my son and I are going to die. We're just going to call it good and we're going to be done. We're going to exit from this place. Last supper type situation for the widow and her son. I cannot imagine a more severe situation. When I think about like, things really going sideways in our world, the thing that freaks me out the most is my kids. Terrifying crisis mode situation for this woman and her son. But Elijah, in his boldness and his courage, he said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. How audacious is that? Go ahead and cook, just provide for me this stranger off the street. Go ahead and just hook, hook that up. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this, is, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. She and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. We think we're going to die. We're on the edge of our last meal situation. Pretty tough times for this gal and her son. And this makes me think. This is where I'd like to begin proving for you guys the track record of how our God dabbles in crisis. He's constantly operating in crisis. And there's two illustrations of that, I think. As we look at this story, which is an illustration in of, of itself, someone in crisis mode, God brings them hope by giving them bread to eat. What is this thing with bread? What is this thing with our constant hunger? Well, of the whole swath of the Bible, 66 books, cover to cover, let me just cite two quick examples. Let's go through them. Okay, this first one comes from Exodus. Moses, the savior of Israel, has just petitioned Pharaoh, brought Pharaoh to his knees, rather. With all the plagues, Pharaoh finally says, okay, go, but not quite. He's chasing after him with chariots. They get to the edge of the water. The Israelites, God bless them. They get a bad rap, but it's a crisis mode situation for them. They're just following Moses into God knows where the wilderness with no real, like, hey, can you lay out the 10-point plan, Moses? I don't think they had that conversation. So they're led into crisis mode. They get past that trial with Pharaoh, and now they're on the other side of the river. Here's what happens. Pick up in Exodus 16, okay, verse 2. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Good job, Moses. Way to hustle. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. But I will, listen to this, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Always preparing us for something. Nothing is an accident. No circumstances random in God's economy. He's always preparing us for something. Wants to test their heart. Wants to grow their trust and their faith in him. That's the whole experiment, gang. That's the whole deal, from cradle to the grave. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, it will be twice as much as usual. 
bunch of whiny babies the Israelites are. They can never see outside of three feet in front of their face. That seems to be the issue. There's so many names for Israel. You stiff-necked people. You're moaning and groaning. You're whining all the time. Because they lost focus. They lost touch of that whole thing, that whole communication piece, that whole prayer, that whole relationship thing maybe. How many of them got on their knees before they raised their fists? How many of them got on their knees before they raised their fists at Moses and said, you screwed this up once again? But like I said, this morning I'm in a position to, to, to be gracious with Israel. Like I would hope to be for myself or I hope the grace you would extend to yourselves. That they get such a bad rap. But this was a challenging situation. This was definitely a crisis mode moment. And yet God is faithful in the crisis and in the raining down bread from heaven moment. Manna. That's what it was called. It means, what is it? That's what manna from heaven, the food and bread from heaven. Manna, the word means, what is it? They had no idea. God knows. And he'll use whatever means necessary to grow that trust in us. So maybe the Old Testament God is an angry one. Maybe he's unfair. Maybe he's unjust. Or people just never cease being in crisis. Let's fast forward for a second. How about another example? Let's go to Jesus, shall we? Let's go to Jesus. Check this out. This, uh, this comes from... John 6, once again, the people are, are tracking along with Jesus. They're hounding him with questions. These people now that are hounding, hounding him with questions are most likely the Jews, the insiders. And they want to know, they want to challenge everything. They want to understand what's going on. What's your new way? Are you, are you prescribing something totally different than we learned from the law? Is it, what is this new model? Does it abolish all the old things that we know? And, and they're testing Jesus even to see, you know, does he have his chops about him? So, so let's see what happens here when they, when, they, when they seek to challenge him. They answer the people to Jesus. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Of course. Stiff-necked people. The title for the Jews is coming back ringing in my head. Constantly slow to trust. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they were journeying through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Is that what the scriptures say? Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, I love this part. An innocent moment. Again, I have compassion for them. They're in crisis. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Give us a bite of that bread every day. I'm ready to take it. Hand it out. He's saying, here's my body broken for you. Here is my body. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The challenge is laid there, trying to prepare their hearts to trust what he's about and what he's going to do. Here's a quick context for those people. We can have compa- this is what allows us to have compassion for those people in that time. That first century culture, Roman rule, Roman occupation. The people are constantly hungry. They are physically hungry probably all the time. You think about the situation when he's feeding the 5,000. What's with that story? The people, they're living in a triple taxation context. That was part of what was happening at that time. They're taxed by Rome. They're taxed by their own people, the Jews. And they're taxed by the tax collectors taking some off the top. They're constantly being ripped off to the point of having to put their kids into slavery, having their whole farms taken away, and the coat off of their back given over to be able to pay for these taxes. They're desperate But they're not just physically in crisis, they're spiritually in crisis. 
despite the fumbling around, such a mess quizzing and testing Jesus, despite all of that, he says, I am your full and final hope. You want to know how you have hope in crisis mode? Trust in me through thick and thin. Trust in me in crisis. Trust in me in miracles when I'm providing bread for you. Trust in me through thick and thin. I'm preparing a way for you. I'm preparing something in your heart. You know what I get from this? When I look at all these passages, I look at Elijah and the widow, and I look at the widow, and then I look at the Israelites and the Exodus passage, and I, I fast forward and look at Jesus and these people. We are always worried about getting fed to the point of obsession over being fed. You know what God's worried about? God's worried about using whatever means necessary to get us to trust him more. Here we are always obsessing over our next meal. How are we going to eat? How are we going to work? How are we going to land the deal? How are we going to close the deal? How are my kids going to get to be successful? Success and prosperity. All the time we have that idol working, pumping, feeding us. That lie. And he's over here saying, I'll use whatever means necessary to bring you to me. Whatever means necessary. If he wants to use a filthy old raven, a dirty bird to come and fly and help Elijah out, he will. If he wants to use a Gentile widow, he will. If he wants to use a broken car, a health bill, a lawsuit, sickness or death, he can and he will. You know what I'm talking about. We've all walked those seasons. He can and he will. What does this tell you about God's heart? He uses all things to teach us, to show us, to grow something in us. This thing called trust. And one of the best tools that we have is this communication piece with the Father. Be in constant communication, in touch with Him. It doesn't have to be a formality. It doesn't have to be perfect. Go before Him broke and a mess and ashamed. Have an audience with Him. And just see what He may do to restore some of that hope. What happens next for Elijah? We've suggested that God's preparing him for something. God is preparing him for something huge in the chapters to come, in the contest of Mount Carmel. More on that later. Don't let it sidetrack. You can look at it before next weekend, the weekend after that, but he's always preparing us for something. Before he gets to Mount Carmel, this epic battle in chapter 18, 19, wherever it is, he's got one more challenge to go through that's profound and incredible. So we continue on in 17. Here's what it says. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. Let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he was revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. And the woman told Elijah, listen to this. Now the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Now I know for sure that God is real. That God is real here and now and cares about entering into our crisis. Who cares deeply about seven billion people as much as he cares about one person and how we're growing in trust and relationship with him the son let's think about the context for a moment the son it says was was starting to die he's dying slowly and and by this time elijah has relationship with the widow and the son he's moved in 
Who knows how much time has elapsed, but he's built relationship with these people. They may be like family to him. Remember, he's just a man. Sometimes we read the story for face value and say, oh, Elijah is synonymous with impervious and strong and courageous and bold and never faltering. I can guarantee you that this man, Elijah, says, awesome. God, what's going on? You lead me here to be an example to this widow. And then this son's dying, and we've been praying over him all this time, praying even though it doesn't look like it's going our way. Elijah could be riddled with doubt in this moment. Crisis of faith for Elijah, not just the widow, maybe Elijah's sitting there, the so-called hero of the story. And he's wondering, God, what are you going to do? God, you let him die? What, what's going on? So the doubts and the anxieties, Elijah's not exempt from that. He's just a man, and yet God hears him. And, and again, I just want to give that qualifier. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, that's not really my season right now, Ben. I'm not in crisis mode. I don't feel challenged by that right now. Again, just be wary. Just, just a heads-up call that we don't slip into those seasons of success, of prosperity, of production, and think, that's cool, I'm good, I got it, I did that, we did that, our team did that, the group did that, the organization did that, we're good. The problem is sometimes we're already living in the land flowing with milk and honey. In Orange County, we are indeed in that land. So the caution is that success feeds some of that self-sufficiency, which is the idol for us today. But what about the application? God is using all things as a means for growing our faith and preparing us for something. For Elijah, the centerpiece moment is this this huge challenge with Ahab, head-to-head with Ahab, and he's going to go idle against the God of all humanity and history, head-to-head in this moment, and he's preparing him through this this penultimate moment. The eve of that moment is here with the widow and the son. Elijah, are you going to trust me? Are you going to offer prayers up to me in Christ's and in hopeful moment, in miraculous moment? So he lays over the child and he's miraculously healed. But God doesn't always respond that way, does he? That's what we're left to wrestle with here in the room this morning. Sometimes he allows crisis to occur and remain. Sometimes he works an insane miracle. You want to know it remains the same no matter what in crisis and in miracle time? is his ability to show us, teach us, and prepare us for what's next. Now, there's one more illustration uh, that I have for you this morning, a very special one that will show how God is at work in crisis, how God is real in restoring hope, how God works through, through prayer and preparation. I want you to join me, if you can, join me right now as we welcome Eric and Yesenia Markle to the stage. They're going to share a story with us. Go ahead, welcome them up. It's good. Yep. So Eric and Yesenia had a, an amazing season of crisis roughly three years ago at the birth of their son, Arthur, and uh, they've been gracious enough to um, battle the stage frights and the intimidation of that to come and join us up here this morning. Um, there we go. You guys need a microphone. <laughs> there we go. So um, you guys, thanks so much for being here this morning. Um, Yessie, you're going you're gonna to start our time off, please? Sure. Um, thank you, Ben. Okay. So like Ben said, um, three years ago, I gave birth to Arthur, and um, sorry, um, about 30 minutes after he was born, I know, sorry, it's been a while, Um, so about 30 minutes after he was born, he stopped breathing, and ultimately his heart stopped beating. 
we were rushed to the hospital and when Eric and I got to the emergency room, there was just a ton of people in the room working on him, trying to revive him, resuscitate him, get him stable. And, um, you know, just walking into that room and seeing all these people and it was hard. My, I, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. I just kind of crumbled on the ground. And, um, but it wasn't until a couple hours later, they got him stable. They moved him into the NICU and we, um, we, we were waiting in a, a, a waiting room that the doctor came in and said, I'm fearful for your son's future. And when he said that, my heart just dropped. And I thought he was saying, your son doesn't have a future. I thought Arthur was going to die. And I remember praying and saying, God, if you're going to take my son, please don't take my faith. Because I knew I was going to need him to walk me through this, to just take me through this experience of losing my son. And um, sure enough, little by little, Arthur got better. And... Um, he passed all the tests that they were running. Um, he was um, just, you know, God was working through through, uh, through that. And uh, we had the whole community, our church community here at Watermark, praying for us, visiting us at the hospital, bringing us food. And um, it was really the community that helped us along with all the prayer. And that's when God became real to me. I knew of God. I believed in God. But that's when he became real to me, when he was almost tangible for me. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> sorry. Thanks, Jesse. Eric, you had a moment that you wanted to share from the day, a moment or two? Where yes. um, I can do this. Um, yes, you can. You can. Just be patient with me. Let me get through this. Um, so I can relate to the scripture. I'm going to try not to look up because I don't want to look at the picture because it's going to make me cry. I'm already crying, so it's okay. Um, but, but I can relate to the scripture because here you have this woman that's lost hope, right? She's prepping her last meal for her family, and uh, her hope shattered. She doesn't have hope anymore. She's trying to find hope. And so for me, this, this moment is, so we go through this perfect birth experience. To all of a sudden, Arthur's heart's not pumping, and he's not breathing. And uh, we end up in, at a Hogue in the emergency room down the street. And uh, I just remember this vivid moment of my back up against the wall. My wife was sitting next to me, and she just kind of crumbled to the ground. And I, I, at the time, was just very despondent, you know, like, what, like what just happened to us? Um, I got it. I can do it. Um, and I just remember, like, this time of just like desperately looking for some hope in somebody's face. So you have all these, like set the scene, you have all these uh, doctors and nurses, this flurry around this table that Arthur's laying on. He's not breathing, his heart's not pumping. And there's just this huge flurry, all the fun sounds of being in the hospital room. Um, and, you know, you're sitting, he's crying, and I'm sitting there just, I wanted to see somebody just look at me and just give me a look of like, it's going to be okay or Or he's doing, he's doing okay. So, anyways, the moment was that I, I was looking, 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 and finally there's these this, this gentleman with these two gals are kind of s- s- uh, stepped away from the table, and they finally like looked up at me, and like right when we locked eyes, they just looked at the floor, and it just crushed. It just crushed. Sorry. 
Sorry, I'm going to get through this. I got this, Ben. I got this. Um, doing good, bro. Doing so anyways, good. it just crushed me. And that was my moment of like, hope is a real thing. You know, where, where do I find my hope? And, uh, and I, I needed hope at some point right now. And I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus Christ at this moment. But it, like, it's real now. It's a very real thing. Um, I think we can all relate or we're going to end up in a season like that. Um, to kind of finish off the beginning of Arthur's story, because his story is not over, um, we ended up at Chalk. Uh, this is a picture where he was in uh, 72 hours of brain cooling therapy to perfect, uh, protect him from seizures and uh, brain damage. Um, everything from his neck down shut down through this th- period of about 35 minutes of CPR and resuscitation. Um, after that was done, they gave him an MRI to see what kind of what was going to happen. Sorry to back up. I skipped a moment. We end up in the NICU waiting room. The doctor comes in and said, you know, if your son survives, he's going to have moderate to severe brain damage. So, uh, long story short, to bring the hope back to the thing, um, God does a miracle. The first MRI comes back perfect. Um, it was actually perfect and they were expecting all this brain damage so they did a second MRI because they thought maybe it didn't work or something happened because that's not what they were expecting. Uh, second one comes back perfect. We're there for two weeks so every specialist was looking at every organ and, and the thumbs kept the thumbs up kept coming and coming and coming. Everything's looking good. His liver's going, blah, 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 blah. Keeps going and finally we get him home and it was just like an amazing experience. The, the community here came around us in such a beautiful way that um, we will never forget all the meals the coffee, the people coming to the hospital to visit us and pray for us, uh, people bringing us food at, at home and groceries. It was just an amazing experience. Um, he had an occupational therapist visit our house every week for the first year of his life because they wanted to kind of look at him to see where he was going to be with his motor skills and mental skills. Uh, about eight months into that, the occupational therapist told my wife, there's no reason for me to come anymore because there's nothing wrong with your son. So, you know, it's just, uh, obviously, we received a, a, just a miracle from God, and um, he's just an amazing kid, and uh, even even recent, yeah, so that's him in the middle, um, just a beautiful kid, full of joy and love, he's just a beautiful kid, and uh, so a month ago, imagine this little kid, I'm feeding my, our baby daughter um, lunch in, in the kitchen, and he comes out from a nap. I didn't know he woke up, but he comes out and comes into the kitchen, and he comes up to me and goes, Papa, when I was a baby, I said hi to God. <laughs> and I would, and just, you know, obviously we receive this miracle, and I get to wake up and see this beautiful face every day, but the God that saved the kid in the scripture is the same God that s- saved my son's life. He's real, as my wife has said, and he's a personal God. He knows you, and you can know him. And this is where hope comes from, because at the end of the day, things get shaky in life, and you've got to be tied to something that's actually real, and our God is real. That's amazing, you guys. Thank you so much. Give it up for these guys. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you, Eric. We're going to go into a response time, you guys, right now. Um, the band, as you can see, is coming up, and, and they're going to play a couple songs. And we want to have this time totally open for just a worship music and worship response. There's communion tables here at the front and the back corners as well. You can take communion at any point. You can stand at your chair and you can worship. If you're, if you're newer to church right now, maybe you were invited or maybe it's only your second or third time coming out and, and something's going on inside yourself 
and you feel like maybe God, Jesus, you don't even have a reference point maybe for all that he is or all that he does or all that you should do next. But you have questions about what it means to say yes to Jesus, what it, what it means to be a person of faith, what it means to be a part of a community like this. There's going to be people, elders, which are the leaders of our church, at the back corners, at both back corners. If you'd like to go to them to pray just in general, you want to receive prayer and encouragement, someone just to put their hand on your shoulder and to pray for whatever crisis mode situation you're in, or just to pray in general, or to pray specifically about your decision for faith or about Jesus or saying yes to Jesus, if you specifically feel called or stirred to to have someone just pray for you in that moment, it's not a special deal, it's not a, again, it's not a ritual, it's as simple as saying yes to Jesus, that's it. If that's you in the room, you can go to these, these, these couples, these men and women who are in the back corners of the room, they'd love to pray with you. In closing, this is what, this is the message, you guys, that God has for us this morning. That in crisis mode and in miraculous, divine moment, that God is on the throne. That he is a good, good father. And he uses all things to prepare us for something. The table, when we take communion this morning, is that that hope still lives. That was Jesus' response to the Jews. I'm the bread of life. You can take from this every single day. Partake from this hope every single day. That's the hope of what we live for. So wherever you're at this morning, we welcome you to join us in this this moment of worship, of thanksgiving, or possibly of making a decision that could change and affect the the rest of your life. Will you pray, pray with me as we worship? Jesus, thank you so much for Sunday morning. (laughs) Thank you for providing the space and the opportunity to come together as a community of faith. We share in preparation. We share in prayer. Like we just heard from that amazing story, that amazing story of grace, Lord, that you were speaking to, that you were in communion with Eric and Yesenia. And they, in turn, were in in communication, in, in connection and communion in prayer with their faith community. And God, that you worked an amazing, tremendous miracle. Thank you for that. We are still praising your name for the fact that Arthur is here today, one room over, living and breathing and acting just the way he ought. Thank you, God, for that. And thank you, Jesus, for all the miracles that we have just forgotten to stop and pause. And thank you for today, yesterday, last week, last month, last year. Thank you for those things. And God, for those of us who are in crisis still, just holding on for daylight. Give us grace and mercy to see your face, to hear your voice, and know that you are God and that your hope is available, that you are totally real. Thank you, Jesus, we pray in your son's name. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church. 